All right. Well, if you have a Bible with you, uh, you can open up with me to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and we've been uh, in a series now for a number of weeks. I think this is actually week six uh, of a series called Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And the reason we wanted to sort of start our year in this series was just, uh, you know, New Year's rolls around and we, we uh, make resolutions and hopes and dreams and set goals for the year. And, and one of the, the things that is, is typically um, on a on a follower of Jesus' list to get better at, is to pray. And so we, if you flip through the Gospels, in, in actually Luke chapter 11, uh, there's a spot where the disciples, they, they've seen Jesus pray. They've been, they've been tracking with him for a long time, and they, they actually ask him. It's the one time in the Gospels that the disciples ask Jesus to teach them something. We've got all kinds of questions, but this is the one where they ask to, him to teach them. And they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so this prayer uh, called, uh, typically we know it as the Lord's Prayer, we've suggested it would be better called the model prayer because Jesus didn't necessarily have to pray this specific prayer, but uh, it's in two spots. It's in Luke 11 and also in Matthew chapter 6 here. And so there's only a, a couple of weeks left. We've, we've gone through uh, five weeks so far. We're in week six. And I hope that as we've gone slowly through this prayer that's, that's likely quite familiar, that it's been really uh, helpful that it's been really encouraging in your own prayer life, that it's been in challenging your prayer life, maybe even. And maybe it's even give you, uh, given you some permission, if you will, to pray differently and hopefully helped you to grow deeper in your prayer life. And we've come a long way. We started with the opening of the prayer, Our Father in Heaven, and we said that this is a reminder that, that this prayer is, is a family prayer. It, it's not one that's kind of uh, open to anyone to, to pray in a sense that the only people that get to call God Father are Christians, are followers of Jesus. And so this is a, a privilege for those who, who uh, follow Jesus that we can actually call the creator of the universe Father. The next week we, we talked about the next line, hallowed be your name, and we, we challenged one another to think, what is the most important thing in my life? What is that thing that, that I hallow, that I, that, I, that I give my time and talent and energy and finances to? And, and how often is it distracted to things that are, that are of this earth and not hallowing Jesus' name or God's name? The prayer is to, to help us keep the right things in the right order. Then we talked about the next couple of weeks for uh, the prayer of your kingdom come and your will be done. We said what we, what we want to see, what this prayer is saying that we want to see is the way things are supposed to be, the way things were in the Garden of Eden, and the way things are in, in heaven, that's what we want to see here. And so we're asking for the kingdom to come. We're asking for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, even when that means that my will and my desires and my kingdom have to take a second, second seat. And we, we challenged, and I, I hope you remember this, we we said it's, it's kind of really easy to, to pray some of these things and just kind of rattle through them. But we said maybe in, in this part especially, we say, uh, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and start with me. And we ask the Lord to, to reveal the things in our lives and our hearts that are in the way of God's kingdom coming. And last week we talked about uh, the, the next line, kind of the first ask for ourselves and that was to give us this day our daily bread. And he said, we're, we're asking the Lord to provide for us, to, to, to take uh, our anxieties, our nerves, all the things, and just put our hope and trust in him. 
Well, this morning we get to the fifth petition, the, the fifth ask of the prayer, if you will, and it's in verse 12. And it says this, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And so today, we're going to talk about forgiveness. If you've uh, ever been in any kind of relationship, if you have parents, if you have friends, if you have siblings, if you've ever dated, if you've ever been married, if you've ever been part of a church, if you've really had any relationship with another warm body, chances are, and that relationship has lasted any amount of time, chances are you've recognized that for that relationship to continue, forgiveness has to come into the room, right? You need to be able to ask for it, you need to be able to give it, and you need to be able to receive it. And what's true in our kind of horizontal relationships with one another is also true of our vertical relationship with God. Now, God doesn't sin, so he never needs to be forgiven, but if we want a healthy relationship with God, then we need to be willing, able, and regularly coming to him to confess our sins and ask for his grace and his forgiveness. And so we can kind of look at this, this fifth petition, this verse 12, as, as sort of two different ways, if you will. There's our, our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with each other. I've mentioned through the series many times, uh, Kevin DeYoung's got a great little book on the Lord's Prayer, and, and he helpfully calls these two categories the forgiveness we need to receive from God and the forgiveness we need to give as well, and that's for those around us. So we'll start at the start. Jesus says to pray, and forgive us our debts. And I was reminded again as I prepared that that little and at the beginning that starts off this verse, ties it back to the verse before. So if you remember the verse before, it was, uh, and give us this day, give us today, our daily bread. So every day we're supposed to be coming to God and saying, okay, God, provide for me today. Well, and means we should also working, be working through this forgiveness stuff every day. We daily ask God to provide. We daily ask God to provide the forgiveness and grace that our sins need. Now, I'm not sure uh, which translation you might have in front of you, but uh, if you learned this prayer uh, some time ago, perhaps, or have, have read other things, you may know this verse as, forgive us our trespasses, or forgive us our sins. Uh, and all three of these words, trespasses, sins, debts, are, are similar, but not, not quite the same. Almost every modern translation does have the word debts here, and there's a reason for that. It's a deliberate word choice by Matthew. And yes, we're asking for our sins to be forgiven. Yes, we're asking for our trespasses to be forgiven. But the word debts just adds a little bit more weight because it suggests that we actually owe God something, that there's, there's a cost that our, our sin, our trespasses, our uh, broken relationship with God has, has left. And we recognize that we owe God something that we actually cannot pay ourselves. So we ask for forgiveness. Forgive our debts suggests that we've done things that we shouldn't have and also left things undone that we should have done. So this really wraps in sins of commission, things we've committed, and sins of omission, things we know we should do but didn't. But more important, I think, than getting the word right, as important as it is, is to understand what we mean when we pray this prayer and forgive us our sins. 
It's meaning that, that every single day we, we live in debt to God's mercy. And again, just as we need to ask for bread every day, for provision every day, we also have sins that we need to be forgiven of every day. And notice that it says debts as well, plural, not just debt. One writer says, every single debt deserves to be met with God's righteous displeasure. But think about how many debts we owe to God, debts that we are powerless to pay. Dutch theologian Herman Witsis puts it this way. He says, had we contracted but one debt of this kind, would it not have been uh, enough to fill our minds with indescribable horror? But we're chargeable with debts, debts of every description, original, imputed, inherent, and actual debts of omission and commission, of ignorance, infirmity, and deliberate wickedness without limit and without number. Welcome to Trinity. Here to encourage you this morning and just send us on our way. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, now, hang on. You've told us before, when we come to Jesus, and I repented of my sin, and I, I turned towards him, doesn't he forgive me then? Doesn't Romans 8, 1 say, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? So how do we square that with what Jesus is teaching here, and, and a little bit later in verses 14 and 15? Well, for starters, the reason we still ask for forgiveness is because we still sin. And it goes a little bit further, I think. When we were first converted or, or saved or, or came to faith, how, however you want to use that language, the way we stood before God was we stood before him as, as kind of God the judge. And what does a judge do? A judge enforces the law, and a judge, after hearing the evidence, declares someone guilty or innocent, justified or, or not justified. But here's the thing that I think a lot of us miss. If we go back to the opening of the prayer, how does, God, or how does Jesus want us to relate to God? I think it's the first two words of the prayer. Our Father. Jesus wants us to relate to God on an ongoing basis, not just as judge, but as Father. See, if, we're, we, if we only think of God as judge, then we get stuck in this place of only thinking of right or wrong, righteous, unrighteous, justified, not justified, good enough or not good enough. And so many of us get stuck here in those kind of binaries, right? And if that's the only way we relate to God, then chances are we'll always be walking on eggshells, hoping not to do anything wrong so that God the judge doesn't condemn us. And our Christianity will just be stilted and stale. But Jesus doesn't want us to relate to God just as judge. He also wants us to relate to God as Father, and that's why he opened the prayer that way. See, we want to relate to God as, as a good Father, and a good Father always loves his children, and that's a given. But, but a good Father can also be pleased or displeased with them while still loving them. If you're a parent, you probably understand this. If you have parents, you may understand that as well. And if, it was just, if God was just judge, then he wouldn't continue to go back before the judge to confess another mistake and another mistake and another mistake, right? 
but you would go back to your father, to a parent, to your father and say, I fumbled it, I'm sorry. J.I. Packer, I think, is quite helpful here. He says, the Lord's Prayer is the family prayer in which God's adopted children address their father. And, and though their daily failures do not overthrow their justification, things will not be right between them and their father until they have said sorry and asked him to overlook the ways they've let him down. Paul Tripp uh, helpfully adds this. He says, when I live this lifestyle, I find joy in telling Jesus day after day that I need what he did in his life, his death and resurrection. This lifestyle is about growing to acknowledge that in some way, every day, I give evidence to the fact that the cross was necessary. And this lifestyle of forgiveness makes my daily attitude one of heartfelt gratitude and joy. I remember a few weeks ago there I said, I said there were kind of two big words that, that are really sort of, uh, they're important theological words that we don't use in everyday language, but we still need to know them, especially when it comes to our faith. And, and those words are, are justification and sanctification, that we are justified and also being sanctified. So as followers of Jesus, because of his work on the cross, in the eyes of God the judge, we are justified. We can cling to Jesus' righteousness, claim it for our own, justified. Yet we're still human. There is still sin in our lives. There are things that later in the New Testament we're told to, to put off, to take off, to flee from. And then we come to God the Father and say, God, forgive me. I don't want to do that anymore. And as we do that, as we, as we confess and we let, let God shape our lives and guide us in this new direction, as we put off the things of this world and put on the things of the Christ, uh, things of Jesus, we are being sanctified. We are being made holy. And these things can be true at the same time. So when we sin, not if, when we sin, once we do take that to the Father, we shouldn't feel condemnation. But we should, uh, in, in the same kind of sense, feel uh, a, a bit of guilt. And I'm not sure guilt is quite the right word. But we should feel the sense that, you know what, this, this thing that I've done that's outside the will of God, that's, that's uh, sin, it's actually disrupting my relationship with the Father. It's getting in the way. He wouldn't be pleased with that in my life. It's not what he wants for me. It's not what's best for me. And so we take it to him and we confess. And we ask for his, his forgiveness. I love how uh, Kevin DeYoung kind of sums up a little bit this part. He says, the prayer, forgive us our debts, is the cry not of a frightened litigant, but of a loving child. We're not standing before the judge every day as we pray. We're standing before our Father. So that's kind of the first part, the forgiveness we need to receive and continue to receive. And the second part of the prayer, the second half of the verse says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now Jesus makes it, it's a little bit sticky now, isn't it? Now in this verse, in this part of the prayer, we're not only asking something of God, but we're also expecting something of ourselves. See, the, the, the thing we learn here is that forgiven people forgive. So let's try to define forgiveness a little bit so we can wrap our heads around this. If we look at verse 12, uh, forgiveness has something to do with dealing with debt, with, with canceling or taking care of that debt or those debts. 
And so when God forgives us, he's saying, I will not make you pay what you owe me. Because Jesus has already paid that, right? And when we forgive others, we're saying, I will not demand of you the moral payment that's rightfully mine. And isn't this counter-cultural today? So much of, you can't spend any amount of time online or in the newspapers or walking down the street and not find someone saying, if you've offended me, I'm, you're finished. If you've hurt me, it is well within my right to try to end you. But forgiveness says, no, no, I, I'll, I'll let that slide. That's, that, that payment is not for me to take. And this is something that, that really should make followers of Jesus stand out in the world. I'm not always sure we get this right. I'm not always sure we do this well. I'm not always sure that you can tell the difference between followers of Jesus and not followers of Jesus when it comes to offering forgiveness, holding grudges, these kinds of things. But as followers of Jesus, we should be known for our ability to reconcile, to not hold grudges, because we realize just how much we've sinned against God, and he has shown us grace. Jesus told uh, the parable of the ungrateful servant. It's in Matthew chapter 18, so a little bit farther. And if you remember the story, he's talking about what the kingdom is like. And he, he, he compares and contrasts these two servants who had debts. And one came to the king and, and said, uh, the king said, well, here's what you owe. It's more than you could ever possibly pay in, in, a, in a hundred lifetimes. And the servant fell on his knees and said, no, I can't do it. Just give me, uh, uh, just give me more time. I'll, I'll pay this, this debt. And, and the king, knowing that he never could, said, you know what? It's okay. I'll write that off. And he leaves quickly, the servant does, and he goes into the street and finds someone who's one of his own servants that owes him a, a minuscule amount in comparison, just a, a, a tiny little bit. And he says to this other servant, hey, uh, you owe me, pay up now or I'm going to throw you in the debtor's jail, which was a thing. And the second servant said, oh, just give me more time, just give me more time, I'll get it to you. I just, you know, I need a, I need a paycheck at the end of the week or whatever. And, and that servant said, no, 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 to jail with you, you're done. And the message is how the guy that was forgiven so much by God went and looked at this other small debt and wasn't willing to forgive. And so the lesson is, God has forgiven us so much, can't we forgive the small things? And just to be really clear, this verse isn't saying that we earn God's forgiveness by how well we forgive others. You can kind of read that in if you're not careful. But rather it's saying that because of his forgiveness, because of how God has treated us, we model that and extend forgiveness to those around us. John Stott helpfully says, once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. It's the disparity between the size of debts, which is the main point of the parable of the unmerciful servant. And the conclusion of the parable is, I forgave you all that debt, which was huge. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? 
So we've tried to define forgiveness a little bit, but let's uh, also be clear on what forgiveness is not. And again, I've helped a little bit with this list from, from Kevin DeYoung. The first thing is forgiveness is not the absence of consequences. Okay, forgiveness is not the absence of consequences, and that's really important. Actions still have consequences, and just because you forgive someone or someone forgives you doesn't mean that, uh, doesn't necessarily mean there's no discipline that needs to take place, okay? Uh, the second thing, uh, forgiveness, offering forgiveness isn't an elimination of authority structures. So uh, it doesn't eliminate kind of parental structures or relational structures, or it doesn't uh, uh, negate uh, legal structures or government authority. Example maybe of this, uh, one Christmas when I was way younger and less responsible, uh, I was driving home, to, we lived in Edmonton at the time, driving home from a Christmas gathering, family gathering in Camrose, and trying to get back in, in time to, to change and go to work. I was uh, working over Christmas that time, and I was alone in the car, and the roads were great and empty, and so, as sometimes happens when you're younger and alone, my foot got a little bit heavy on that accelerator. And I, was, I, still, rem- I still remember the spot. Right around kind of Hay Lakes on, uh, I think it's 21 or 14. I can't keep track of which one actually ends up in cameras, but 21 or 14. Kind of come around the bend, there's a little bit of rise, and much to my dismay, as I hit the rise, there was another car coming towards me. And so I let my foot off the gas a little bit and tried to, you know, sit up straight and brush the... But sure enough, as that car passed, the red and blues came on, pulled me over. Uh, when that officer came to my window, I apologized. He said, you know, what's, what's the hurry, son? And I was like, wow, I just, you know, coming home from a family Christmas thing. I'm headed to work, and, and, and. And I'm not sure that he used the words, I forgive you, but it's like, it was understanding but you can bet he sure still wrote that ticket. (laughs) The third thing, forgiveness isn't the absence of judgment. Now, there is a a right way and a wrong way to judge. We need to be clear on that, and Jesus will teach that in the next chapter. But a couple of things we want to say about judgment. We want to avoid the kind of judgment that only sees the negative, that only believes things that are critical, and always assumes the worst in people. That's, that's beyond judgment, that's being judgmental, and we don't want to do that. And we surely wouldn't want anyone to think of us that way, right? To only see the bad, to only see the critical, to always assume the worst of my intentions. None of us would want anyone to think of us that way, so let's not think of others that way. At the same time, what we want to do is actually wise evaluation. Uh, charitable judgment, uh, trying to, to, to make these calls in our minds, doesn't uh, require us to be unthinking or unquestioning or undiscerning, right? Jesus taught, again in Matthew 10, a little bit later, that, that we're to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So we do need to, to think about what's going on and think of how this, this, this sin will, uh, will affect our relationships going forward. A helpful analogy here says, when Jesus tells us to forgive, he doesn't mean to play with rattlesnakes as if they're puppies, okay? There's, there's some discernment there. There's some judgments we still have to make that are right. But forgiveness means if the rattlesnake becomes a puppy, we don't always remind them they used to be a snake, okay? Is that helpful? hope so. So what then is forgiveness? Well, it, it is an action, 
It's something we do. It, it's not just a feeling. And often I think we, we get this mixed up. I, I, I decide, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to forgive this person and I'm just going to feel like it's okay. I'm not sure feeling always comes first in this. It's, a, it's an action. It's a choice. Not just a feeling. And forgiveness is not always the same as forgetting. Whoever keeps saying forgive and forget has missed it, I think. Uh, the Puritan writer Thomas Watson gives, I think, some really good, uh, a really good summary of what forgiveness is when he says, forgiveness means we strive against all thoughts of revenge. We hand these things to God, right, and say, God, I, I, I can't carry this. We strive against all things of revenge. And forgiveness is when we, uh, we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish them well, grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. He also elsewhere says, we are not bound to trust an enemy, but we are bound to forgive him. This week, um, in light of teaching on this prayer and, and forgiveness specifically, uh, I had the opportunity to live it out, probably in a few ways, actually, if I really think about it. Uh, many of you uh, may know that the house on our new property was broken into this week, a couple of times, actually. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of damage. The, the doors were kicked in. Nothing really stolen, except my stash of chunky soup and one of my favorite mugs. But as we gathered there for prayer Tuesday night, which, little plug for Tuesday night prayer, 7.30 over at the house. As we gathered there for prayer Tuesday night, I was so encouraged that someone, and I forget who first said it, so forgive me, friends that were there. But someone said, now we should pray for whoever broke in. And when, uh, when, when I sat down in the room Tuesday at 7.30, I'm not sure I was ready to do that. But we did. We prayed for them. And I think I'm okay. <laughs> I'm ready with that, for that now. I also took the opportunity to come before the Lord this week and just ask, hey, if forgiveness means letting go of hard feelings and, and not seeking my own revenge, whether that's just you know, the movie that plays in my brain or whatever else, man, God, is there anyone that I'm harboring unforgiveness against? And a couple names came to mind, some unresolved issues or things maybe even that I thought were resolved but weren't. And a couple surprised me, to be honest, but then I could go to the Lord and say, well, help me forget. I want, I want what's best for them. I do. I, I don't want to hold on to any negative feelings. I, I want you to deal with that. And I think even release some angry or grumpy feelings inside. So this week, I, I would encourage you to, to take some time, even now, and just ask the Lord, hey, is, is there anyone I'm harboring or holding on to unforgiveness? This is a, a, another big prayer, isn't it? We've said that every week. We've only taken a, a handful of words every, every morning, but it's, it's a weighty prayer, one that, that we shouldn't pray if we're not ready to actually mean it. Earlier I said that, that forgiven people forgive. Can I really carefully 
and humbly and with a bit of fear and trepidation say the opposite may also be true? An unforgiven person doesn't forgive? An, an unforgiving person hasn't yet grasped all that God has forgiven them? Again, we, we look to Jesus and, and we pray to the Father, Father, forgive us our debts. And when we consider those debts, we're, we're faced with this massive pile, this insurmountable death because our rebellion is against a, a perfect, infinite God. But when Jesus went to the cross, his work on the cross wept, wiped out the entire debt, all by his grace for us. There's nothing in our hearts that deserve that debt to be forgiven, but we are, because God loves us. And so a forgiving heart is actually a condition of God's forgiveness towards us. One writer says, amazingly, when we pray this, we're asking God, in a manner of speaking, to follow our example. God, please treat me as I treat others. And that's a bold request. And it makes us consider whether we would want God to do to us as we do to others. We shouldn't understand this as, God, I scratched your back, so now you scratch mine. Legalism, that's, that's not it. It's, we're not trying to manipulate God by any sense. But it's a statement of recognition. See, if we know that our sins have been forgiven by God, then we will in turn be eager to forgive those who have sinned against us. When we talk about discipleship, when we talk about our, our growing relationship with Jesus or our apprenticeship to Jesus, I, I think often we, we, we forget or we miss talking about this, about forgiveness. I've not, I'm not sure I've ever seen it in kind of a list of, of spiritual disciplines or a list of spiritual practices that help us grow in faith. But Jesus in the New Testament took it seriously, took forgiveness seriously. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if someone has something against you, if you, if you recognize that, that you have some unforgiveness in your heart, even if you're in the middle of a worship service, like right now, stop, get up, go, and take care of that. So we'll understand if anyone has to leave early, that's okay. <laughs> Elsewhere in the New Testament, our, uh, the importance of our attitude towards others is stressed as well. And Matthew 7, we talked about it a little bit. Jesus says, For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you'll be measured by the same measure you use. Later in Matthew 18, this is the, the end of the uh, parable, the unforgiving servant. The, Jesus teaches the, the story ends. Then after he'd summoned him, the master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? A little bit later in Ephesians 4, Paul writes, and our kids, I know, Vern, you've taught our kids to sing this one, and we still hear it around the house. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, loving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Ephesians 4, I need to, no, 32, shoot. <laughs> got to get him to teach it to me again at home, I guess. I got the numbers wrong, right? Be kind and compassionate. Forgive one another just as God has forgiven you. So one writer concludes, there is nothing as important in your life as asking God to forgive your debts and maybe nothing as hard as asking God to help you forgive others. So a couple of questions as we close. Are you ready to pray this prayer? And not just because it's stuck in the middle and we're trying to get through, and, but to actually be real honest with God and say, God, forgive me and help me forgive others the same way.
And the second question, uh, a little, this might get in your face a little bit, that's okay. Are you demanding from others something God hasn't demanded of you? Uh, which this again says, when God forgives, he frees the sinner from everlasting punishment and blesses him with his favor, which is the fountain of life and all happiness. But when we forgive, we merely cease to indulge towards our offender our feeble and perhaps impotent wrath and bestow upon him our best wishes. See, God's forgiveness is, is so much greater than ours. And it's out of the, the outflowing of that that we forgive others. The last, I think the last thing I want to say is there's, there's no doubt that there have been people in your life that have hurt you deeply, really deeply. And God never says, when he calls us to forgive, God never says, that's not that big a deal. Just get over it. Right? Forgiveness isn't saying that sin doesn't matter. Forgiveness isn't saying that, uh, oh, that's no big deal, just get on with your life. But forgiveness is saying God is bigger and the cross is bigger. So we don't focus on what they owe us, but we focus on what God has already forgiven us. Let me pray. Father God, what a privilege and, and honor it is to be able to come before you and, and call you Father. And again, this week, as we walk through this model prayer, as we walk through the, the way, Jesus, that you told us how to pray, I pray that it would shape our afternoons, that it would shape our weeks, that we wouldn't just consider this prayer and, and roll through it because we've heard it countless times or because we've said it countless times, but really help us to think about what we're saying. And so we pray, God, forgive us our debts. And in doing so, we recognize, Jesus, that it's, it's only because of you that, that we can call God Father. We've been adopted into your family. It's only because of your work on the cross where you gave your perfect, sinless, righteous life to take my sin, to pay my debt and our debt so that I might be called a son and we might be called sons and daughters of the king. And so, God, I, I pray that you would just give us a, a glimpse. I'm a little scared to ask this. Give us a little glimpse of just how big that debt is that you've forgiven. And then help us to forgive others in the same way around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.